And so uh, that'll be wonderful. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter number 12. And uh, I want to look at some fundamental errors this morning. Jesus is teaching in Mark chapter number 12, or not teaching rather, but uh, uh, he had been teaching and, and the uh, Pharisees had approached him and, and they're trying to ensnare him in some questions and then later the Sadducees come up and we're going to look at the Sadducees, but uh, one of the uh, greatest things that uh, sometimes in our life when we mess things up, sometimes other people see it before we do and uh, and. Listen, I'm always grateful if somebody sees an error and says, hey, you know, I'm going to point this out and, and, uh, and help you out. Uh, boy, I'm grateful uh, for that. And, and if you see it and it is a problem and you're like, man, I'm, I'm grateful. If you ever had somebody point something out in your life uh, and, and, and save you a lot of problems and a lot of heartache and a lot of uh, uh, difficulty, uh, boy, it's grateful uh, you ought to be grateful when somebody points those things out to you and, uh, and can save you of some serious consequences. And in this passage, Jesus uh, is pointing out some errors, really, uh, that, that we ought to be aware of. In verses 13 through 17, we're not going to look at them, but the Pharisees and Herodians were trying to catch Jesus in questions. Matter of fact, in verse number 13, it says this, And they said unto him, certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. Now, could you imagine that? It's absolutely foolish, absolutely foolish to try and catch Jesus in his words. The Bible says he is the word. Uh, and, and John chapter 1. So uh, to try and uh, attempt to catch Jesus or to trip him up with the words that he would say uh, was absolutely foolish. But yet they tried and, uh, and they thought that they could outwit God. And uh, listen, to outwit God is absolute foolishness, but it goes on even today. I mean, man still thinks, well, we can outwit God. People who uh, despise the Word of God, uh, and they're forging, they, they're forging, they're saying they're forging their own path, or they're really not forging their own path, they're following after sin and following after wickedness and, and going in direct opposite direction of the Word of God, and, uh, and they think, well, we're going to be smarter than God. Uh, what foolish thinking that is. You cannot outwit the all-knowing God of the universe. It, it, it amazes me. I love science. I love creation. I love nature. I love all things that, uh, that pertain to that. It interests me, to be honest with you. And I always look at it from the perspective of what an incredible God we serve that has created all that we have. And I'm talking down to the very molecular elemental levels of atoms and, uh, and the, the, the neutrons and, and the different charged particles that exist and, and all of those things. I'm amazed when I look at that and I say, how on earth uh, did God come up with all of this stuff? Uh, and it just amazes me. And that's who they were trying to outwit. And people think they can. They're foolish for thinking so, uh, but, uh, but they're certainly, uh, you can do whatever you want. It's a free world, all right? So if they want to try and fool God and outwit God, uh, it's not going to end well, I can promise you that. And so they were trying to outwit God. They were trying to outwit Jesus. And, uh, and, and they were not able to. And in our passage, in our text, 
uh, in verse number 18, uh, the Sadducees had come to Jesus, and, and they too, uh, I think, were trying to trip up Jesus with questions. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. We know that. There's not a lot we know about the Sadducees. I was trying to look up a little bit of information and find out who the Sadducees really were and how to well define them, and, and uh, I didn't find a whole lot of information, to be honest with you, but the Bible does tell us this. The Bible tells us that they did not believe in the resurrection. So we know that about them. And look with me in verse number 18, Mark chapter number 12 and verse number 18, as we find they come to Jesus and the Bible says, then came unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man, if a man's brother die, and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that is, his brother should take his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now they're talking about the Old Testament law, and uh, that was a law in the Old Testament. And so now they're going to go on to this hypothetical situation uh, that they came up with. In verse number 20, Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed, that would be he had no children. And the second took her and died. Neither left he any seed, and the third likewise. And the seven had her and left no seed. None of them had uh, a child with this wife. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. So they're trying to trick up Jesus because they don't even believe in a resurrection. And yet they're, they're asking this question. Verse 24, And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven, and as touching the dead, that they rise, may not... Have ye not read in the book of Moses, how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Verse 27, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye, do, ye therefore do greatly err. What an incredible passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me as only you can. And God, I pray that you would help me to uh, get across, Father, the message that you've placed on my heart. And God, may we avoid great error in our life and making mistakes in our life, Father. And God, as we look at your word, God, we thank you for the blessing of having the Bible. God, I pray that you'd use me and speak through me, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we think about this text this morning, I, I want to focus in and zero in on verse 24, and Jesus answering said to them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scripture, neither the power 
of God. Jesus did not mince words in dealing with these Sadducees. Jesus did not mince words in dealing with the Pharisees either. Many times he encountered with the Pharisees and he was very quick and he was very uh, uh, appropriate with the words that he used to put them in place. I mean, Jesus was never lacking uh, the right word. Uh, many times I, I'm, I, people will ask me something and, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I, I don't have words. I, I'm just not for sure what to say. And I have to tell people, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. I really just don't have an answer for you. And, uh, and Jesus was never lacking for words. Uh, Jesus being God, and, and uh, he was always uh, right on the ball, and he was always quick, and he was always, uh, as the Bible says, uh, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and Jesus, certainly with the Word that he would give and respond to anyone who tried to, uh, to trick him or anyone who even came to him with a question, was always quick, and he was sharp because he is the Word of God. And so we find that he responds very quickly and very appropriately to these Sadducees. And he says this, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures? And in reading that, I became burdened thinking, if we collectively as Christians are going to fall into error in our life, we are going to fall into error because we know not the Scriptures. And I was challenged in, in growing up in church my whole life and, and being in church and being in services and listening to preaching. And, and sometimes I think in all honesty uh, that, that uh, you know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And sometimes I feel so responsible because of the amount of preaching I've been exposed to in my lifetime and the amount of time uh, in, in church and in the Bible and, and all the messages and all the preaching that I've heard, I feel quite responsible and sometimes I feel like I need to be careful that I don't err because I know not the Scriptures. And I thought, boy, how we need to focus our attention on the Word of God and the Scriptures. And this morning, I just have three things that I, uh, that I, I think are very relevant to our text and I think are very relevant to our lives. And, and, and they're things that we can be ignorant about because we know not the Scripture and may we not fall into error and may we not have problems in our lives because we know not the Scripture. And the first one that I thought of, especially with these scribes and Pharisees, is that they were ignorant of redemption. They were ignorant of redemption. Listen, religious people are often led astray by not knowing the Bible. And uh, the Bible says, my, uh, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And, uh, and listen, uh, we got to be careful that because we're religious people and because, hey, we come to church and that, that would not suffice it for us. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the, the Christians that were in Berea uh, searched the Scripture daily. May we be like the Berean Christians and search the Scriptures because therein contains the truth and religion many times does not have uh, the answers, but I can tell you this, that the Word of God always has the answers. And you can't go wrong with the Word of God. Matter of fact, religion is defined as the outward act or form by which men indicate their recognition of the existence of a God or gods which have power over their destiny. 
Listen, my friends, we don't want to just be religious. We want to be scripture seekers, those who would seek the truth of the word of God. The scribes or the Pharisees, I'm sorry, the Sadducees, I'll get them right. The Sadducees believed that sin was punished in their lifetime. They also followed, adhered very strictly to the law of the Old Testament. And, and so they would follow that. And, and their belief was that uh, if you sin, that the, hey, that sin was dealt with in that lifetime. They didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe really in an afterlife. And so uh, their kind of idea was that, hey, we live here on this earth and then after we die, it's all done. And if you sin on this earth, that that sin is dealt with at that time, there's a lot of people that think that today. There's a lot of people think there's nothing after, after death and that uh, once you close your eyes that life is over and there's nothing further and nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible tells us very clearly that there is life after death. Matter of fact, Jesus told them, He said, Ye do err, uh, or do, do ye not therefore err because ye know not the Scripture. And He goes on in verse 25 and He says, For when they shall rise from the dead, and he said, there is life after death. Not only that, but he goes on further and he says uh, that, listen, uh, when, when Moses uh, was talking to God, God said, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And, and, and Jesus went on to say, hey, he's not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living, meaning that Abraham and that uh, Isaac and that Jacob were alive at that point in time. And there is something after death. The Bible's very clear about that. And, and listen, uh, they did understand part of it, that there is a problem of sin. The Bible says it very simply in the book of Romans. Matter of fact, go there with me in Romans chapter 3. And let's walk through just a few verses. Uh, it's commonly called the Romans Road. And it's just a few verses in the book of Romans. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous no, not one. That means that there is no person that is perfect. You understand the word righteous means to be absolutely sinless perfect. There's nobody. I was, I was watching a video this morning and, and I was reminded of it because I was looking for this specific video and, and I finally found it and I went back and I was re-watching it. It's a short 15-minute clip and about a guy doing interviews on the street in Washington, D.C. and it's a rather old video and, and he goes to people and he, and he asks them, you know, do you think, uh, do you think you know, you're a pretty good ter person? And they're like, yeah. And, and he asks them, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? And they're like, yeah. And he asks them, you know, do you think you could quote them? And well, maybe a couple. And, and so he starts going through just a few of those and, and he says, you know, in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not lie. And then he says, have you ever told a lie before? And they're like, well, yeah. And one guy said, well, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't. He said, yeah, that's true. And he goes through several of those. And, and the fact of the matter is, when we actually boil it all down, uh, we realize and we understand when we take a true, honest look of what we are and who we are, we realize and we recognize, hey, we all have sin in our life. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. And in verse 23, it goes on and it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, hey, we cannot make that mark of perfection. 
I heard it explained many ways, but one of the ways that I've heard it explained is if you put out a, a target over here and, and you have somebody stand at the other end with a bow and arrow and, and, uh, and they were to draw that bow and, and shoot that arrow and try and hit that target, that the arrow would fall short and would not hit the target. Listen, all of our goodness that we can do and all of our, the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and, and the best that we can put forward does not even hit the, to God's target, much less the bullseye of perfection. So we find that we're sinners. And then the Bible goes on in Romans chapter 5 and, and verse number 12, and this verse explains to us where sin has come from. And the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And we find, hey, the consequence of that sin is death. I mean, uh, we know the story... Adam in the Garden of Eden and Adam fell into sin and afterwards uh, the Bible says, hey, that, that he would die and he did die. And listen, ever since that time, man is born and man dies. Man is born and man dies. Uh, listen, I'm kind of glad that it works out that way. We'd be, could you imagine all the population from Adam till now? He'd be 6,000 years old. So he die, man dies as a result of our sin. But it's not just that. The Bible goes on in, in Romans 6.23 and it says this, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we deserve for our sin, uh, what, we, what we ought to receive for our sin is death. And it's more than just that physical death. The Bible says in Revelation uh, towards the end, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And that's really what we deserve because of our sin. And we find the problem of sin, but I'm glad that there's a promise of love. And in Romans 6.23, we read the first part, but it goes on. I'm glad it doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm grateful that God, up in heaven, the perfect, holy, righteous, all-powerful God, looks down and He sees sinful man, you and I. And He says, you know what? I love sinful man. I care about them. And I don't want them to go to that place called hell. I don't want them to go to that lake of fire. I don't want them to die that second death. And so He gives us the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He offers this morning to all people a gift of eternal life that would never end, that would be never dying to all those who are willing to accept it. I'm glad that Jesus offers that. That is a gift. Listen, you can't work and earn that gift. There is no amount of works that you can do. There's no amount of coming to church or giving offerings or being baptized. There is nothing that you can do to merit that gift. God offers it to you freely. It is available. And he goes on in Romans chapter 10, just forward a couple pages in verse number 9, and it says this, in Romans 10.9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now I love this verse. 
because it's really clear. And he goes, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people. There is a lot of people who know who Jesus is. They will tell you that he died on the cross. They will tell you he died on the cross to save them from their sins. They will tell you with their mouth that he rose from the, from the grave. But all of it is confession with the mouth and there's no belief in their heart. In other words, they have not fully put their faith and trust in God alone to save them. They're trusting in some system of religion or some form of good works or some other thing to actually save them. And their, their, their faith is not placed solely in God alone. I've, said, I've used this illustration many a times. If I, had a, if I have this chair up here, and let's say this chair, let's say one of these legs are broke. I'm not going to break it because I don't want to fix it and I don't want to buy a new one. Let's say one of those legs are broke. And, uh, and, and I bring somebody up here and the chair's kind of wobbly and topsy. And, and I ask him, I say, do you, do you think this chair will hold your weight? And he says, well, yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, it's a little, I, it's a little weak there, but I think it'll hold my weight. And I say, well, have a seat. Uh, no, that's okay. You see where, where the difference is? They'll confess with their mouth. They, they think it will hold their weight. But when it comes down to actually setting down and putting their weight into that chair and lifting their feet off the ground and saying, hey, I am fully, this chair is holding my whole body weight up. They draw the line and say, I'm not going to do that. They'll tell you they know who Jesus is They know that He died on the cross to save them from their sins. They know that He rose again from the dead, but they have not put their full trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for salvation. They're trusting in some kind of uh, religious works. They're trusting in some kind of other form so that they can be saved. And their faith is not placed solely in Jesus Christ. It's placed in a lot of other things. And listen, this verse is very clear that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That goes on in verse number 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jump down to verse 13 and it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm grateful. For verse number 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That means you this morning. If you will call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone and trust Him for salvation, He will save you. It is a promise. And What I'm saying this morning is a lot of people err not knowing the Scriptures. And they don't know where their faith and trust is placed. Their their faith and trust relies in some religious system. Their faith and trust relies in some kind of institution. Their faith and trust relies in their works. Their faith and trust relies in some church or some other thing. And what I'm telling you is they do err not knowing the Scriptures because God alone is the only one that is able to save us. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross. He shed His precious blood on Calvary. He 
rose again, the Bible says, on the third day so that you and I could put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. Listen, if you've done that, praise the Lord, that is the Bible way of salvation. That's how you, that's how you get saved. And maybe you're here and you've never done that. I don't want you to be ignorant of redemption this morning. That's how you can be saved and that's how you can be born again. Uh, I believe the, the, the Sadducees, they were ignorant of redemption. Go back to our text and we find here in our, our, our verse, uh, Mark chapter 12 and verse 24, he says, uh, Ye do err not, do ye not therefore err because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. I think they were ignorant of redemption. Not only do I think they were ignorant of redemption, I know they were ignorant of the resurrection. The Bible says that in, in this verse, in, in going back in, in verse number 18, uh, then came unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. They were ignorant of the resurrection. They were ignorant of redemption. Why? The Scripture says very clearly that there is a resurrection. And we find that, listen, it's important to understand that Jesus rose from the dead. Go with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I love this passage. It's not Easter time, but hey, it's okay to talk about the resurrection when it's not Easter. Amen? That's where our salvation is based because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Bible says here in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 1, I, I love this passage. I chose this passage because it, it is a wonderful passage. In Matthew 28 and verse number 1 it says, And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And His countenance was like lightning, and His raiment white as snow. And for fear of Him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. You remember they placed a few guards there at the door? And, uh, and they, they put a, the biggest stone that they could find to seal that sepulcher. And the Jews uh, wanted to keep the Lord Jesus Christ in the grave. And, and they say the soldiers were placed and everything was made. But listen, uh, the Bible says that uh, when He arose from the dead, for fear of Him did the keeper shake and became as dead men. They all passed out. All the big soldier guards the biggest ones they could find, didn't hold them in the grave. Verse 5, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Hallelujah. That Jesus rose from the dead. Why is that so significant? Why is that so important? The Bible says in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, uh, that if Jesus had not risen from the dead, then our salvation is in vain, and our preaching is in vain, and everything that we're doing here this morning is in vain and a waste of time. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus did raise from the dead. And it's recorded in the Gospels and it's recorded over and over again that Jesus arose from the dead and we celebrate that because, hey, He gives us salvation by His resurrection. Go on in verse number 7 because this is one of my favorite parts. 
And go quickly, this is the angel talking to the Marys that had gone to see him, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher in fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. Not that, jump down to verse number 11. Here's my favorite part. I love that part as well. It says, now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Here's the soldiers. They went into the city. And they they went unto the chief priests and they said, listen, we were watching the tomb. And a bright light appeared and it's the brightest face we've ever seen in our life. and, and, And we... I don't know if they told him outright we passed out. I, maybe they lied and said I, we might have fell asleep on the job. I don't know what they said. But that stone was rolled away and Jesus was gone when we got up. Look at what it says. And when they were assembled, verse 12, and when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying, I love this phrase, is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. You know what they did? Those soldiers that were guarding the tomb, of course they could not keep Jesus Christ our Lord in the grave. They're not strong enough to do that. And so uh, they, they, they did. They, they failed at their job. And, uh, and what the, uh, the, the chief priests and the uh, scribes had told them, they said, listen, here's what we want you to do. We want you to tell everyone that the disciples came and stole His body while you were sleeping at the grave. And He said, listen, if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll secure you. In other words, hey, if the governor finds out and and that you weren't doing your job and that you were sleeping on the job, hey, the penalty would be death for them guys. But he said, don't worry about that. We'll cover that. We'll make sure. And they gave them a large amount of money. He said, you lie and cover it all up and say his disciples came and stole the body of Jesus away. And then it's commonly reported. Everyone knows it's a lie. Everyone knows they took money. Everyone knows that's a fraud. Everyone knows it's a fake and that Jesus Christ truly did raise from the grave and that they were trying to cover it up. And listen, there are a lot of people who are ignorant of the resurrection. And listen, because Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says this in Romans 6.4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, so we also should walk in new of life. Listen, because Jesus arose from the dead victoriously, He conquered death, hell, and the grave, and He gives us the power and the victory over sin in our life for salvation. Praise the Lord for that. Do you understand? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we have the power to live a Christian life and walk in newness of life. We talked about last week 
uh, well, a couple weeks ago, the power of darkness, and we talked about the redemption. We talked about uh, all the things that Jesus are, is to us. And, and listen, we are not bound to sin. We are not enslaved to sin as Christian people. We do not have to continue our, in our sin. Matter of fact, we have the option to walk in newness of life. The Bible says, hey, behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And what a blessing to know that because Jesus raised from the dead, hey, that we have a new life in Jesus Christ. We don't have to live our old life anymore. These these Sadducees, they were ignorant of the resurrection. They did err. Listen, sometimes I wonder, there's a lot of Christians running around. They're not living right. They're not doing right. And I scratch my head and I wonder, are they ignorant of the resurrection? Do they know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered the power of sin. And He gives us the ability to walk in newness of life, the Bible says. Don't err being ignorant of the resurrection. Don't err being ignorant of the redemption. And one last thing I want you to notice. Mark 12, 24 Do not ye therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. Not only were they ignorant of the redemption, not only were they ignorant of the resurrection, but I want you to know they were ignorant of the rapture. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Hey, He promised it. John chapter 14 and verse 1, um, He he says, uh, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Praise the Lord, He's coming again. He's not forgot that promise. He's still coming. He's still a preparing. And He's going to come and He's going to return and He will be back here. Hey, when Jesus was there in the, in the book of Acts in, in chapter number 1 and His disciples were standing around and they were talking with Him and He gave them the promise, He said, uh, that the Holy Spirit would come and that they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and He goes on a little bit later and, and as Jesus is giving them that last command, uh, He starts to rise off the ground. Could you? I just couldn't even picture that. I mean, he's talking with his disciples, and I don't know if it went, you know, a foot and then two foot, and his disciples are wide-eyed, and he's just kind of floating, and, and he continues to slowly ascend up into heaven, and, and pretty soon, man, he gets, he, he's, you know, three stories up, and you're just standing there aghast and amazed that here's a man that you walked with and worked with for three and a half years, and you served with him, and you watched him do many miracles, but here he is just ascending up out of sight. And all of a sudden, man, he hits the clouds and he's gone. He's just kind of staring there. An angel comes to them and says this in Acts 1.11 and says, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. 
he repeated that same promise and said, hey, this Jesus that you just watched ascend up into heaven, he's going to return someday. And he's coming back. And let me tell you something. It is a promise that Jesus made. And it will, and he will come back. And let me tell you, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 13 down through 17, we don't have time to go there. But let me tell you that those who are saved and those who are born again are going to be caught up in the clouds, the Bible says. When He comes, He's going to come in the clouds. There'll be, the Bible says, the sound of a trumpet, the voice, the sound of a trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the, uh, together in the air to meet with our Lord, and so shall we ever be with our Lord. And let me tell you something, He's going to come in the clouds, and he's going to, that trumpet's going to sound, hey, and you and I, those that are saved, those who are born again, those who have put their faith in the trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, we're going to be caught up out of here. And we're going to go in the clouds. I love flying, I'll be honest with you. I, there is nothing I enjoy getting in. I don't care if it's a big plane. I don't care if it's a small plane. And I've been in both. I just enjoy flying. There is nothing like getting in a plane and you going up and you're looking down and the cars look like matchbox cars. And then you get up a little bit higher and pretty soon they look like ants. It just amazes me. It really does. Let me tell you something on that day. You're not going to need an airplane. You're not going to need a helicopter. And we're going to... We're going to fly out of here. And I, some, of you, some of you are scared of heights. I'm with you. By the way, I don't, I don't like, to, I, I, don't, I will get up high, but I don't like to be up high, but there's something different about flying. Let me tell you something. God's going to take away all your fear about falling. You're not going to, if he's pulling you out of here, buddy, you are not going to fall. Trust me. We're going to go out of here. They were ignorant of the rapture. They were ignorant that it would take place. Listen, Christian, don't be ignorant of the rapture. God's coming. May He find us busy about the Master's business. May He find us serving faithfully. May He find us faithful to His call, faithful to His Word, faithful to His service, faithful doing what He would have us to do. You say, preacher, when's it going to be? Listen, the Bible's very clear. We don't know the time or day. No man knoweth the day nor the hour. And anybody who tells you it's going to be on August 3rd at 10 o'clock in the morning, they're lying. The Bible does not tell us the time and day. No man knows. But I'll tell you this, when that trumpet sounds, if you're saved, you're not going to miss it. You'll hear it and you'll know. And the Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. Man, what a day. Don't be ignorant of the rapture when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Live your life knowing that you're redeemed. Live your life in the power of the resurrection. Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Live your life knowing that the rapture could take place. Hey, it might happen tonight before we ever get back to church. It might not happen for another 50 years. We don't know. But I do know this. He is coming just like He said. It's promised. And may that keep us faithful. I've said this a few times. I'll say it again. Don't... I heard...
heard somebody say, don't stop me if, I, if you've heard this story before. I just like to tell the story. Amen? My, ma, my dad would go off to work. And sometimes my parents would leave, and, and they'd leave us a list of chores to be done. They said, make sure the living room's clean. Make sure the dishes are done. Make sure that the yard is cut. So you know what we would do? Well, where are you going? What time are you going to be back? They wouldn't tell us. They'd leave. And you know what most kids do. They don't do anything. They sit around and they play video games and they drink pop while their parents are gone and they have fun. That's what they do. And then all of a sudden, one of the, one of the watching men looking out the window says, oh, I see car lights. I think it's mom and dad's car. Quick! And the whole house blows into a fury of work and you start cleaning the living room and, and washing the dishes and, and, and man, just rinse them all off and put them in the strainer. It doesn't matter. They're in the driveway. Mom and dad come in and they know it's not been worked on. They know. Listen, you know why God didn't give us a time? Because he knew we would wait until 1159 and then we'd start. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the rapture. He wants us to live every day of our life like it could be today. He could come today. He wants us busy. He said, watch. Many times in the Bible, watch. Because he's coming back. And he is coming back. Don't be ignorant of redemption. Don't be ignorant of the resurrection. Don't be ignorant of the rapture. He said, you do err not knowing the Scripture nor the power of God. I'm grateful God gave us a book and He wrote all that stuff down that we could be aware of who God is. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, if God's spoken to your heart this morning, the altar is open. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, truly, I do not want anyone to be ignorant of redemption. I do not want anyone to be ignorant of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't want anyone to be ignorant of the rapture and the fact that you are coming again and that we will be pulled out of here. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, there won't be time for last-minute cleanup. Help us to live every day as though you may come today. Help us to know the Scriptures and not to err in our life. God, I pray that You'd speak to hearts as only You can. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the piano plays, maybe you're here this morning. You say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I, I really didn't even realize that I needed to be saved. I've never heard it like that. But I'd like to be saved. Nobody's looking around. Every head is bowed and every eye closed. And if you'd say, I'm not saved this morning, just slip your hand up in the air. Let me pray for you. Would there be one that would say, I am not saved, but I'd like to be? Nobody's looking around. We don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to embarrass you this morning. Would there be one?
Maybe you're living your life ignorant of the resurrection, ignorant of the power of the resurrection. God wants you. He wants you to live a right life. Live in the power of the resurrection. Maybe you say, Preacher, I've kind of been a little bit ignorant of the rapture, to be honest with you, and I'd like to live my life knowing that I'm serving God, knowing that He's coming again. Why don't you pray and ask God to help you to be mindful of the rapture, mindful of the resurrection. The altar's open. Just one more verse.